Well, it is not a surprise to you, this is not news to you, that the political drums are, are beating strong already. Uh, the noise is becoming deafening. Uh, we are, we are a year, almost a year away, over a year away, I guess, from the presidential election, the front, uh, and, and we are in full swing. <laughs> I don't, I think every year it surprises, every time, every four years, it surprises me how early the three ring circus begins to, uh, elect the next leader of the free world for four years here. But debates and polls and, advertisements and endorsements and and interviews and bumper stickers and tv commercials and t-shirts and button do they still do buttons i don't know if that's still a thing or not um but but it's it's just everywhere and well i was just thinking about that and contrasting that thinking this week and you you layer that scene that's going on in our nation in our culture you layer that over this passage this morning and and it is a sharp contrast um here jesus is choosing a few men who are going to not change the uh change a nation for the next 4 years but are going to change the course of human history the have for the last 2000 years but it's such a different process. And these are such different candidates, if we want to call them. And, and, and it's such a different office and there's such a different outcome, uh, from that. Well, just set that aside. Like any other passage in the gospel, or a lot of passages in the gospel, you get it to a text like this and there are a lot of different kind of things you could focus on and emphases that you could draw out. And certainly we always want to we want the text to stand on its own and speak, but there, but even preaching a passage like this, there's different kind of ways that that can be done. We say there's, there's more than one way to skin a cat. I have no idea what that means. Um, I don't understand the origin of that one. I didn't research this. I just was thinking of that expression. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you skin cats in your days? I don't know if that was a thing in the past or if there's different ways to do it, but Apparently there are. Um, anyway, there there's more than one way to preach a passage like this. That's what I was trying to get to. Um, I, I just in looking at commentaries this week and some more of the preaching kind of commentaries, homiletic commentaries. There, there some will do these little mini biographies of those, these first disciples. Others treat it as kind of a model for evangelism. Friends bring friends to Jesus, and so they talk about it. And, and certainly those are valid ways of approaching this text. But I can tell you what drives me, what I think is going to drive me, and what I'm praying will, God will continue to use to drive me every week that we're in the Gospel of John. I don't think it's going to be the same sermon every week. Don't relax. It's okay. Uh, but it's, it's that purpose of John. John 20, 30, 31, I'm not going to quote it again today, but that we would see Jesus in this, in this gospel account and that seeing him, we would believe in him and, and then, then we have life in his name. You, you can't, you can't have life without faith in Jesus Christ and you can't, you can't truly have faith unless there's an object of faith. So we need to see Jesus and we want to see him every week that we're in John. And that's what I want us to do today. Not to make, and, and again, we're thankful we have these little records of these disciples, but I think they're just lenses through which we see the, the glories of Jesus Christ. Or a passage like John 1, 14 and 16, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen His glory, glories of the only begotten from the Father. And then he goes on 
It's full of grace and truth. And from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And so I want to preach today. I want to preach every week that we're in John so that that happens. I want us, you and me, to see Jesus as glorious. And that seeing Him as glorious, then we will receive and will experience more and more and more and more of His grace. And I want grace to just Flood over us every Lord's day as we behold this glorious Christ that we sang about, as we behold Him together in the Gospel of John. And so I want us to be overwhelmed by Jesus. And, and, and just as these first disciples were. And so this morning, six points, six reasons to be overwhelmed by Jesus in this passage that's before us today. And the first reason is this. It's the Lamb of God's ability to remove your sin. The first reason to be completely enamored with and overcome with the glories of Jesus is His ability as the Lamb of God to, to remove your sin. Verse 35. Go back there with me. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at, at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Now maybe you read that and you think, poor John. <laughs> poor, poor guy. He, here, his, 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 his followers are leaving him. His ministry is starting to kind of diminish and fade and it's, it's just a little heartbreaking for John the Baptist. But don't forget that what was the goal of John's ministry? It was the increase of Christ. John knew that when the Messiah appeared, he would begin to fade. That was his whole purpose for existence. And he understood that. John chapter 3, just turn over a page as it is in my Bible anyway. John 3 verse 28. John the Baptist saying, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, me, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And then he says, he must increase. I must decrease. And so when these first, when these disciples, these first disciples of John are dislodged from him and in, in following Jesus, John is fulfilling the purpose for which he came, the goal of his ministry. And it all starts with this. With John pointing to Jesus and making this declaration. Behold the Messiah. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Behold the one who baptizes with the Spirit. No. Behold the Son of God. No. Those are all true. And Jesus is, or excuse me, John, just the day earlier, he said all of those things about Jesus. But he, he, he focuses on one thing here as Jesus walks by. He says, behold the Lamb of God. One day earlier, John was with the crowds and with his disciples around him. And he, Jesus came and approached and John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so here he's, he's affirming Jesus' identity as that Lamb of God. And, and to, his, to these two disciples, and what do they do? They leave and they go after him. They go after him. 
To say that Jesus is the Lamb of God, we talked about this last week, but it meant that God was sending the final sacrifice for sin in His Son that would end all other sacrifices. Jesus came to do what the blood of bulls and goats could not do, to take away sin for good. And don't miss the connection here between verse 36 and verse 37. Verse 36, behold the Lamb of God. Verse 37, the two disciples heard Him, John, say this about the Lamb of God, and they followed Jesus. The reason they left John to follow Jesus was because Jesus is the one who removes sin. John could not take away sin. Couldn't deal with their sin. John was not the Lamb of God. Jesus was. And, and, and our greatest problem is sin. Our greatest need is to have sin removed. And, and our greatest problem is solved. Our greatest need is met in the Lamb of God who takes away sin. This is why they follow Jesus. They leave John. And, and this, what does this mean for us? And this means that we're, we're not born into this world in need of just religious education. We need to get, we need to understand the facts about what God is doing. That's not enough. We're no, we don't come into this world in need of a little moral reformation. We don't just have a few rough edges that need to be smoothed out, a little attitude adjustment, a little, little behavior modification. We don't just need a nudge in the right direction from God so we can clean ourselves up. And, and, and we'll be okay so we can follow the example of Jesus. No, we're, we're bad. We're blind. We're, we're, we're depraved. We're dead. And we need a savior. We need a savior. We need another one who can deal with our sin. And so, this is, this is what Jesus says. Those, those who are well, they don't need a physician. It's those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's what we are. That's how we're born in this world. So when these disciples of John, when John points out and says, there he is. That's the lamb who takes away sin. Their greatest problem, their greatest need is answered. And that lamb. And so they follow him. And nothing, nothing in my hands I bring, we sing. Not, not my works. I'm hungry. He's the bread of life. I'm thirsty. He's living water. I'm desperately wicked. He's the Lamb of God. He takes away sin. This is, this is how they come. This is the first thing that's just, just so unbelievable and, and incredible about Jesus. The reason these two disciples followed him was because they were overwhelmed by that thought. They were sinners. Jesus is a sin remover. And that's just, this should overwhelm our hearts. Is Have you been overwhelmed by that reality? Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away sin, who deals with your greatest problem, meets your greatest need. Are you still deeply affected by that reality? Even if you're in Christ, does that thought just get you out of bed in the morning and, and excite your heart? And I don't mean in some superficial, uh, just... Uh, raw emotion kind of way but it should touch on your emotions it should affect you it should change how you view your sufferings and whatever you're going through in life and that we keep ourselves warm by the fires of this this truth that the lamb has come to take away sin that lamb is jesus that's the first reason we have to be just overwhelmed by christ second reason is this is the rabbi's ability to give you spiritual sight the rabbi the teacher his ability 
Jesus' ability to give you spiritual sight. Verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them, this Andrew and this other disciple, following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? That's not a great answer. (laughs) I'll come back. Verse 39. He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. So Jesus asked these two who've left John, what are you seeking? Now, just... Just to point it out, these are the very first words that are recorded of Jesus in John's gospel account. This is the first time Jesus speaks in John. And it's this penetrating question. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? What are you after here? What what does Jesus mean by this? He's not, he doesn't mean what they follow up with in their answer. He's not asking them to ask for his address. Where are you staying? It's not what he's, not what he's after. Jesus does this often in his ministry and his teaching. He speaks at different levels. And and, and we see it over and over, particularly in the Gospel of John. We'll see this. And so people are thinking and they're talking in a purely physical level. And yet Jesus uses those words that they say and those thoughts that they have. And he infuses them with spiritual meaning. And he he instructs them in in this deeper spiritual level. And, and, and using the same language. And so you have many examples. You have uh, Jesus talking about spiritual rebirth and birth, being born again. And Nicodemus comes and says, well, how can a man be born when he's old? How, how are you going to be stuffed back in your mom's womb so you can be born again? So there's this difference in, in understanding. And, and you have the woman at the well who's talking about drinking and drawing physical water from a physical well. And Jesus says, I'm living water. There's a well you're going to drink from. You'll never thirst again. The, the crowds, they're grumbling about physical bread. Jesus says, I'm, I'm living bread. Eat of me. The Pharisees, they're, they're just getting all in a tizzy over this, this man who is blind and has been healed. Physical eyesight's restored. And Jesus, he just turns it and he's, it's about spiritual eyesight. It's about, and, and so verse 39 of John 9, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who may, and see, who see may become blind. This is a different level. So Jesus is asking something deeper than these two disciples are thinking. What are you, what are you looking for? What do you, what do you want out of following me? And their answer is very cautious. Where? They don't, they don't go to that level. They say, Rabbi, this teacher, respectful title. Where are you staying? I don't think this is a, it's not like some two year old who just can't focus and listen to any question you ask and is just like, yeah, whatever, so let's talk about candy or something like that. It's not, I think they're saying, we want to talk with you more. They don't answer this question. They just answer a question with a question. But they, they want to speak more with Jesus. He says, where are you staying? And Jesus is patient and he gives them a command and he gives them a promise. He says, come, that's the command, and you will see. It's a promise. And on one level it means, as, we'll, as we see in the text, come with me and I'll show you where I'm staying. And that's what, that's what happens. But in the mind of Jesus and, and of the writer John, there's, there's something deeper here. It's, it's if you will truly come to me, you will truly see. You, you get it. 
So they come with Jesus. They stay the whole day with him. It says it's at the 10th hour. Now, if this was Jewish time, Jewish accounting of time, it would be four in the afternoon. I tend to think that this is probably more of the Gentile reckoning of time, which begins at midnight like our day. So this would be probably 10 in the morning. Um, and, and you see these, you see this over and over in parentheses, which translated means, which translated means. He's translating that Aramaic, which was more, more like Hebrew, into Greek, which I think is his primary audience. John has a wider uh, view than, than, than just Jews. And so I think he's probably using that Gentile reckoning of time. And he talks about staying the day with Jesus. It implies, I think, the whole day. And so, they go and they spend the day with him. We're not told what they talk about. We don't know what questions they asked of Jesus. We don't know what answers Jesus gave of them. We don't know how that all went down. All we know is they spent the day with him. And by the time we get to verse 40 and 41, they see. They see. You get verse 40. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, the other one we don't, we're not told. We don't get, we're not given his name. We have a pretty good idea that this is probably John, the writer of the gospel. Is this is how he kind of, this is what he does when he's talking about himself. He doesn't talk about himself. He doesn't use his name in his gospel account. So that's probably who the other disciple is. But verse 41. Andrew, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. The Christ. So the day began with Jesus asking these two, What are you seeking? And it ends with Andrew saying to his brother, we have found the Messiah. What happened in between? They came to Jesus and spent time with him. And they saw. They saw. Their eyes were open. I don't mean in some mystical moment. But as they were with Jesus. They saw him for who he really is. They had eyes to see to, to see reality. This is, it's true for us. If, you, if we come to Jesus, we get to see. We get to see things as they are. The Lord opens our eyes, removes the scales that we're born with from seeing, seeing Him as He really is. And so we get to see like we've never seen before. The, 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 conversely, it's also true that if you, if you reject Jesus, if you don't come to Him, you'll be, you'll continue to be blind and wander in darkness. But this is the next thing that Jesus has this ability to, has, to, to open eyes to see him. To see him as he is. That should, just, that should just blow our minds. Reason to be overwhelmed by him. And we move to another reason. So verse 42. Simon Peter enters into the scene here. He's the best known disciple of all. He's the one that we feel closest to, isn't he? He's dear to us because he's so relatable. Um, he's been called the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth and, and many other labels and titles that are not always very endearing, but, but we get Peter. Uh, one, one writer said that when Peter enters the gospel record, he always enters with a thud. <laughs> I think that's, that's good. Um, verse 42. He, Andrew, brought him, Simon, to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, let me go ahead and give you the third reason why we should be overwhelmed by Jesus. And it's this. It's that it's the Messiah's authority to change your identity. The Messiah's authority to change your identity. What is it? What a strange little encounter here. 
You think about it. You, you bring this scenario into our day and then maybe this morning in the fellowship time, you meet some guy you never met before and he comes up and says, Steve, it's nice to meet you. From now on, you're going to be Bill. Got it? And this is kind of what happens. It's so abrupt. You, it, wh- who, who do you think you are? The, the audacity of you to say something like that. My name is my identity. This is who I am. But this is exactly what Jesus does. Jesus, the text says, looks at him. He could be translated, he, he, he looks him over. And he says, Simon, your new name's Peter. Okay? Simon, does it mean, name means listener, hearer. It's one who is constantly listening to what's going on around him. It could have kind of a negative connotation of just kind of being blown around by opinions and, and drifting. I don't know if that's what's intended here. We're not told. We're not given an explanation. We know Peter means rock in Aramaic, Cephas in Greek, Petros. So, so Jesus here, though, he doesn't ask Simon. He doesn't ask him if it's okay to change his name. He just declares authoritatively, you're Simon, but you're going to be called Peter from now on. No suggesting it as a possibility. No, think about it. Maybe it will grow on you over time. No explanation like we have in Matthew sixteen eighteen. No getting Simon's input on the issue. Not if you feel like it, if this whole rock thing kind of works out for you in the end. It's just, no, you're Peter. That's your name now. And the point here is, I think, and one of the things that we, I want us to see and to be overwhelmed by is that Jesus can do whatever he wants. <laughs> He can do this. This is just authority. It's, it's, it's not heavy-handed, oppressive authority. It's, it's loving authority. That's what this is. It's, he has the authority to do whatever he pleases. And that is a good thing, brothers and sisters. I would not want to follow. I would not want to put my hope in a Savior, a Lord, who just kind of, eh, I, I can't really do anything. I want, a, I, want a, I want a Christ who says, this is your new name. Who's going to? Say that in Revelation 2. Those who overcome, he gives them a new name. And so we ought to be comfortable with this. We better be. He has that authority. Now, if you and I had the authority to do whatever we wanted to do, oh, we would have a mess. (laughs) You and I and everyone around us would be in big trouble. But Jesus is good. He's holy. And And he's full of grace and he's full of truth. He's God. And so this is a good thing. And so he gives Simon a new name, this new identity. He marks the, the rest of the course of, of, of Simon's life out here, in a sense, with this name. Peter's going to be an anchor man. He's going to be a foundation upon which others will build and which we continue to build on. And, and, and what we see, though, is that Jesus has this absolute authority to choose Simon, to rename Simon, and to determine Simon's future. And, as the, and he has that authority over our lives as well. I'm saying, I know sometimes we don't get it. We don't understand why things happen the way they do. And we don't understand the circumstances. And we don't understand why he moves us around. And, 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 and why we're in this situation. And what is, he, what is he up to in our lives. But Jesus has authority over us. And, and it's a good thing to live under the shelter of his wing. 
It's powerful in his strong hand that Jesus has the same authority over our lives today. He gives us our identity. There's no better identity for you to have than the one that Jesus gives you. And we may think I'd be better if I was someone else, if I was better if I was this. That's not the case. It's good that our future, our lives, our identities are in the hands of Christ and under his control. And this is the great thing. And this is what we see in Peter. It's the same thing for us. Jesus begins with us right where we're at. But then he changes us into what he wants us to be. He says, come, come just as you are. But then he doesn't leave us there. He changes us. He transforms us. He knew that Peter would fail miserably. He knew that Peter would choke big time in Jesus' darkest hour when he needed him most. But Jesus also knew that by God's grace, Peter would be this, be this rock, be this Fearless apostle who after Christ rose from the dead, after the resurrection, he would preach boldly. He would suffer willingly for the advance of the gospel. So that's the third reason. is that Jesus just has this authority to change our identities. And that's a great thing. And that should just stagger us. Fourth reason to be overwhelmed by Jesus is the Lord's authority to command our allegiance. To command your allegiance. Jesus has that authority. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida and the city of Andrew and Peter. Now, just notice how things have gone down here. That verse 36 and 37, John the Baptist starts off, Behold the Lamb of God. Two of his disciples go after Jesus. In verses 40 to 42, that those disciples find their brothers. I think John probably found James. Again, he's not talking about himself in the text, but I think that's probably what happened. They each found their brothers and they bring them to Jesus. But here in verse 43, what do we find? Jesus decides to go to Galilee. Jesus uh, finds Philip. Jesus says to him, follow me. You have this, this, you have Christ taking the initiative here. This, this unilateral work here. He finds Philip. Philip didn't find Jesus. He wasn't looking for Jesus. Later on, Jesus will say to his disciples, you didn't, you didn't choose me. I, I chose you. Now, that does not mean that we don't have to choose Jesus. That they didn't have to choose Jesus. We, we do. What Jesus means here is that when you choose me, when you, when you come to me, when you, when you receive me, when you follow me, then you'll know that I actually chose you first. I moved towards you. John 6.44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. John 6.37, all that the Father give me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. He says, I have other sheep, they're not of this, of this fold. They must come also. And Jesus has that authority. Doesn't, again, that, that's not something I know some of us want to kind of choke on, but that should be liberating for us, brothers and sisters. Uh, not just in the, it's not, this is not just talking about, it's not justification here, this is talking about, what it, just, he's saying, follow me. Just follow me. And this is one of the great things for us. We, to follow him as Lord, that's, that's what we're to do as, as believers. I don't have to develop this long-term strategy for my life and get it all figured out and what the map of my life's gonna be and, and how I'm gonna get to be an effective Christian and a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ and, and this, this, this great spiritually minded person. I don't have to figure all that out. All I have to do on my part is follow Jesus. Follow him. 
Obey him. Do what he says. Do what he asks of me. Stop doing what he tells me not to do. Follow him. We, we miss out, I think, when we make things more complicated. And some of us, some, some of us, some of you, maybe more than me, <laughs> I have my own weaknesses. I don't think I tend to be perfected, but some, some of you kind of struggle with that. You want everything figured out. In your personal life, in parenting, in church, you want all, you want it all planned out, all figured out, and the goal is, you know, as for yourself, I'm going to get perfect grades. I'm going to get, I'm going to get in the right college. I'm going to get, study the right program so I can get the perfect job and marry, marry the perfect spouse and get perfect kids and, and just have this perfect retirement and everything's going to be perfect. And we, we think we can, we can manage the life and God wants us. He's given us what we need to, so we can take over and, and go with our life. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Doesn't mean there's wrong anything wrong with pursuing education, pursuing a career, and pursuing a godly spouse, and and trying to raise godly kids. And as moms and dads, this is a struggle you face, isn't it? I, we face this. Look, we want to control. We, we we want our kids to 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 do great things for God. So we we put all of this pressure on ourselves and upon them to perform and to to excel at everything they do and to be the top of everything they're involved in and and we think man they're going to have a microphone stuck in their face one day and they're going to be giving glory to God for what they've accomplished. I mean they may. And that's cool when that happens. But that doesn't really matter. You can have a tremendous, you can raise sons and daughters who, who have a tremendous impact on the events of the gospel and, and for the name of Christ. And, if, and no matter what they do, if they follow Christ, just follow me, Jesus says. Follow me. But Jesus has this authority. He says, Philip, follow me. He does. Fifth reason to be overwhelmed by Jesus. Oh, Step on it here. Son of God's ability to know you from the inside out. The son of God's ability to know you, truly know you from the inside out. He knows everything about you. That should stagger us. So Philip follows Jesus. He becomes a recruiter. He becomes an evangelist for Christ. And here enters Nathaniel, someone that Philip goes to. Nathaniel, he's known as Bartholomew in other gospel accounts. The same disciple his full name was Nathaniel Bartholomew. So there, kids, if you, he could have been worse. I don't know, but, um, but, but this is this is. So he, verse forty-five. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, "We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote." And so he bases his appeal to Nathaniel on the scriptures. He puts it puts Jesus in his biblical context. All the law and prophets. That's just shorthand for all the Old Testament, all the scriptures of at that time. Over three hundred prophecies pointed to Jesus, and all of these types, many more types, pointing to to Jesus. He says, "This is this is the one. We found him, of whom Moses and the prophets wrote." And then he puts him in his local context: Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He so so he's. He's a man, he's born, he was born, he lived time, space, history. He had flesh and blood, he was real parents, real real hometown. And that's where Nathaniel kind of chokes. Nazareth? Well, you see what he said. He, so Nathaniel's from Cana. This is, a little, uh, this is a city about two miles from Nazareth, over the hill. 
And, 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 and today Cain is this, I understand Cain is this tiny little remote village off the beaten path. Nobody really pays much attention to. But Nazareth, of course, it's the hometown of Jesus. So of course the, there's a church there in honor of that. And, and it's a, it's a bustling city now. It's a, it's a bigger city, much bigger than Cana today. But at that time it was the opposite. Cana was a city of center of commerce and, and there was stuff happening in Cana. Nazareth was this little dinky, dusty, uh, village with a bad reputation. And that's what he says. Philip, uh, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth? You gotta be kidding me. You think the Messiah come out of that little rat hole? <laughs> now that's probably a kind of a saying at that time of, in, in jest, like we have, you know, uh, there's no, there's no good way to do this, but Alabama jokes or whatever, I'm so, I'm gonna offend somebody, whatever I say here. In Texas, it was always Arkansas or Oklahoma. Every state has their, their rivals, but, um, but, but, uh, but, but this is him, this is, and so there's a scorn in Nathaniel's question now. There's just prejudice. He's assuming something, this is what prejudice is, it's assuming something about a part based on our perception of the whole. Here's the thing, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then what is Philip's answer? It's just great, it's so wise. He just says, come and see. That's the same words Jesus said to Andrew and the other disciple. Come and see. Hear, hear him for yourself. It doesn't matter where he came from. What matters, if he's the Messiah, you'll, you'll find out when you talk to him. You come and you see. So verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. So Jesus, he knows Nathan. He knows him from the inside out. He knows what's in, what's in his internal condition. He knows about his heart. He knows that he's a man without deceit. It doesn't mean he's sinless. It doesn't mean he's this perfectly righteous guy. It just means he's, he's without guile, without hypocrisy. He's not duplicitous. He is, he is who he is. He knows about his external situation. He knows about his circumstance. I saw you under the fig tree when you were sitting there before Philip ever showed up. I saw you. Nobody else was around, but I, I saw you. Well, this is just mind-blown for Nathaniel. Verse 49. He says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. You are the one that the law, that Moses and the prophets spoke about. It's Jesus of Nazareth. You're the one. And so, I just say, it's God's grace to us. And this ought to be overwhelming to us. And we ought to be thankful for this. That Jesus knows us from the inside out. From the inside out. He, he, John 2, 25. Jesus knows what's in a man. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what makes us tick. He knows our motives. He knows our wants. He, he knows what we're going through. Our external circumstances. We, he knows everything about us. You will never be in a situation or place where, we, where Jesus doesn't fully know What's going on around us and inside of us. It's amazing. And the one who knows us like this is the one who loves us. And the one who's powerful. More than, more powerful than any other force in the world. And he's the one who's good, infinitely good. And always does what's right. And so this is a truth that should be of tremendous encouragement and help to us. And I, I, I listened to a, this is always, Jane, I listened to a sermon of John Piper on this text and he really squeezed his truth and I listened to it in the truck on the way home from Oklahoma this week and it's always dangerous before you preach a passage like this but it was really, I was really helped by this, just this thought that Jesus knows us. He knows me better than you know me. 
He knows me better than Brooke knows me. He knows me better than I know me. There's There's an old spiritual, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Now, there, there are two kind of senses in which that can be taken. There's one sense in which nobody's experienced what I've experienced before. Nobody's gone through my circumstances. That's probably not true. There's people who have gone through the kinds of things I've gone through and, and worse. But, but there's another sense in which nobody has ever been me in these circumstances that I'm in. Nobody's ever brought my sin and my weaknesses and my fears and my personality and my past and my experiences to this sorrow and to this trouble, to this hardship, to this temptation. Nobody's ever been me in this. It's utterly unique. Nobody's ever been you in your situation. But Jesus knows. He knows. He knows inside. He knows out. You're not alone. He knows your heart, he knows your mind, he knows your body, he knows your past, he knows your history, he knows everything about you. And, it, and that brings a great sense of relief when, when we feel like our situation is in, and it is utterly unique as we're experiencing it, but Jesus knows it fully, totally, completely. He understands us, whatever we're going through, and that is incredible. That's Jesus is incredible. I want us to be overwhelmed. Last thing. The last reason to be overwhelmed by Jesus is the Son of Man's ability to span the gulf between you and God. The Son of Man's ability to span the gulf between you and God. Verse 50. So Jesus commends Nathaniel for his simple but immediate faith. Verse 50. Jesus said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. And the ESV says, do you believe? I, I, I don't have time to explain why, but I don't think that's a question. I think that's a, a declaration. He says, I think he's saying, because I said this, you believe. You do believe. And then he goes on. You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you. And that's the first time Jesus uses this expression, truly, truly. This double affirmation. And he always says it right before he's going to say something big. And he does. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what in the world is that talking about? Well, you students of the Old Testament, you know, this is a reference to the dream that Jacob had centuries earlier. Jacob left home. He was fleeing the wrath of his brother Esau. And he and he hightails it out to his uncle's home in far off Aram. And he's there in a little city called Bethel. And, and, and he has this dream. And he's lonely. He's afraid. And Jacob lays down. And he puts his head on a stone for a pillow. And he falls asleep. And he has this dream. And in this dream he sees a ladder reaching up to heaven. And there's these angels of God going up and down this ladder. And so Jesus turns that and he says to Nathaniel, he looks at him and he says, Nathaniel, you're going to see those angels ascending and descending upon me. I'm the son of man. Is that, that son of man, that expression, we think of Daniel, this prophetic, the prophetic title, the Messiah, the son of man. You're going to get what that dream was really talking about, what Jacob's dream was talking about. And, and, and we don't know this, but I think there's, I think it's a, justifiable, I think it's justifiable to think that this is probably what Nathaniel was thinking about when he was sitting up against that fig tree, was this dream. I think Jesus knew him. But he, but he says, that, that you're going to get what that means. You're going to see it in me. 
You're going to see that, that and learn that I am the way to God for man. And I am, the, I am the way for God to reach man. I'm the mediator. I, I'm the link. I'm the one who spans that enormous, un, uncrossable gap between God and man. I'm it. And, 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 and this is, so this is Jesus. This is it. And what's interesting is that the very next scene, John 2... Where's Jesus go? He goes to Cana. Nathaniel's hometown. You can see greater things than these. And this is where he performs his first sign, his first miracle at that wedding feast. Again, this, this guy from Nazareth, nothing good can come from there, goes with Nathaniel of Cana and he performs this miracle. Overwhelming. Let me just say this in conclusion. We're going to sing and then uh, may just maybe sing one song, Wade. And then uh, I, I, um, I do want to sing one. So, um, but this is it. Is that meeting Jesus personally can change your life. It will. It, many of you have been totally overwhelmed by Jesus. And, and that's why we're here. But Peter, he's changed from this impetuous, impulsive, speak before you think guy into this solid, faithful leader in the early church. John's a son of thunder originally, and he becomes a son of love. Andrew is, he's never seen boldly preaching, but we see him from this point on. He's always bringing people to Jesus in John's gospel. Bringing people to Jesus. Philip, he's always listed fourth in the list of the disciples. Philip. It's kind of unimpressive, just kind of background, average, limited ability it seems. Kind of focuses on the negative from the few encounters we see with Philip. But he becomes a faithful servant of Christ. Tradition says he later had this incredibly effective ministry in Asia Minor and was eventually martyred for his preaching. We know nothing, almost nothing of Nathaniel. Just a few things. He's one of the, he was with the fishing disciples after the resurrection when Jesus meets them on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He was there waiting in the upper room for the day of Pentecost. Again, traditions say he had a ministry in Persia and India and, and Armenia and, and was also martyred. But, but every, each of these men, they met Jesus, their lives were changed for eternity. And, and eternity was changed in a sense. History was changed. And we could go around this room, story after story after story after story after story after story of lives changed by meeting Christ. Has your life been changed by meeting Jesus? Have you met him? Do you know him? Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. All who are weary, heavy laden. Are you, are you tired? Are you tired of just trying to keep up with religious performance and church attendance and trying to do stuff and morality? You're tired. Come to me, Jesus says. If you're tired, I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray together. And then maybe let's just let's show the video, Luke, after I pray, and then uh, Frank, if you can come on up and do your thing. Father, we thank you for just this picture we have of our Savior in the Scriptures. God, I pray that not one of us today would leave... This, their seat. Maybe our hearts. God could it be that our hearts would still be unaffected by. 
the glories of Jesus that we see in your word? Could we be, could we yawn? Could we be unimpressed? We may be physically tired, but, it, but inside our, our hearts excited to, and, and on fire to see Christ. I pray that if that's the condition of somebody here today and have heard the words, but it, it's just not sunk in, God, I pray that, I pray for them right now. God, work in their heart. May they, may they call out to you and ask you, God, for open eyes to see the glories of Jesus, that they would receive grace upon grace. In Christ. God. May that not just be true for us. One by one as individuals in this place. But may this be true for us as a church. May we be a people together. Corporately. Who are just enamored with Christ. And overwhelmed by him. May Jesus be larger and larger. In our, in our eyes. In our view. In our hearts. In our affections. Lord we ask in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.